Good morning. The first of the two scripture readings this morning is from Psalm 84, verses 5 through 12. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They grow from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. And the second reading is from Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Well, hello, Restoration Church, and to all who are joining us this morning. My name is Rob Jacobson. I have the privilege of tag-teaming with Leanne Esch, one of our prayer and worship team members, to wrap up this series that we are doing on Living Unashamed. Now, either one of us could have done this teaching, but since community is such an important part of living beyond the shame, we wanted to demonstrate that by tag-teaming the teaching this morning, even if we'll be doing it socially distancing. So let's jump right in. Uh, one of the things that we talked about at the very beginning of the series that we've been just thinking over for the past several weeks is, is there actually such a thing as permanently healing from the shame? See, it seems to me that we can become better and better at not allowing shame to wreak havoc in our lives or our relationships, but the fact remains that shame is a part of the human condition. It will always be around in our lives on earth. Now, if that sounds discouraging and you're thinking, awesome, that doesn't sound like it's going to be very encouraging, just stay tuned. It'll be a hope-filled message. We've been, uh, let's just review the series if you've missed some of them. The first three weeks we looked at where shame starts, what it looks like, and what it results in. See, shame tells us a different story, one that we're not enough, one where we don't really know who we are, and one where we end up alone and isolated. But we also talked about how we can uncover, engage, and reframe shame, putting our shame stories into God's bigger story. Then our friend Hillary talked about how we can battle shame like David battled Goliath. And Amy talked about what happens when we change our focus to stop sizing ourselves against our shame like we're a turtle on the ground and start looking and seeing like a giraffe, seeing beyond the shame to our God-given identity. And today we're going to talk about what we can do with the shame that might always be around. So in the past few weeks, as I wrestled with that question, do we ever find lasting healing from shame? Um, I found encouragement from a really unlikely source, and that was Mr. Rogers. Yep, that gentle, cardigan-wearing, corny song-singing children's TV icon 
has taught me a deep and I hope lasting lesson about how to deal with shame. As a kid, I grew up watching Mr. Rogers every day while I ate my lunch, but it wasn't until recently when I saw a documentary on his life that I realized just how intentional he was about the subjects he addressed through his program. One of the most poignant examples of this was the now famous episode with Officer Clemens and the backyard pool. Officer Clemens, played by Francois Clemens, was a friendly neighborhood police officer who would stop by periodically to visit. In the 1960s, it was very unusual to have a black authority figure on TV, and Officer Clemens was the only recurrent black character in all of children's TV at the time. The Backyard Pool episode aired in May of 1969. The Civil Rights Bill had been passed, but public pools were one of many arenas that remained largely segregated. This picture uh, brought pool segregation into the public eye. A group of peaceful protesters, both black and white, jumped into a motel pool to protest the whites-only policy for swimming in the pool. The motel owner was so irate that he threw acid into the pool. Fortunately, nobody was hurt. In his own statement of protest against segregation, Mr. Rogers started his show one day by carrying a kiddie pool into his backyard. He sat on the edge of the pool to soak his feet. Officer Clemens stopped by and Mr. Rogers invited him to soak his feet in the pool right alongside him. Not only that, when Officer Clemens finished soaking his feet, Mr. Rogers offered him his own towel to dry his feet. And then he used the same towel to dry his own feet. No big deal to us right now, maybe, but at that time in our country's history, these actions would have been seen as radical or offensive to some. Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood wasn't just a TV show with corny songs and imaginary worlds. It was often a social statement, an exploration of the deepest feelings of humanity, and a vulnerable statement on fear, shame, and relational issues. As an adult, I have come to appreciate just how intentional, courageous, and impactful Mr. Rogers was. Just a side note, if you're looking for some movies to watch while you're housebound, I absolutely loved both the documentary, um, Won't You Be My Neighbor, and the Tom Hanks portrayal in Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. So now I've kind of become a bit of a Mr. Rogers junkie, I guess you could say. So I was recently listening to a podcast on the life and work of Fred Rogers called Finding Fred. In episode seven, the host, who was best-selling author Carvel Wallace, was exploring the question, did Fred Rogers feel like he had done enough? kind of sounds like what we've been exploring here around shame. Are we ever enough? It's an interesting question. In 1975, Mr. Rogers decided to retire the children's program. He thought he had said all he could say to help children through the difficulties of life, so he filmed his last episode. Five years later, he began to see that children were facing all sorts of new challenges in our ever-changing world, and he heeded the call to resume taping new episodes of Mr. Rogers. When Fred Rogers decided to return to Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, he wrote a letter to himself. 
He typed it out on the same yellow legal paper that he used to type his scripts on. The note said this, am I kidding myself that I am able to write a script again? Why don't I trust myself? After all these years, it's just as bad as ever. Oh well, the hour cometh, and now is when I've got to do it. Get to it, Fred. The letter is striking to me, and also just moving. This man had obviously impacted generations of children, many adult lives, and even society as a whole. For years, he had masterfully written scripts and acted out scenes that would help children deal with complex fears, emotions, and experiences. Yet, here he was, questioning if he was enough for the task. I don't know what specific thoughts were in his head when he wrote that letter to himself, but I could hear the global message of shame in his wrestling. Am I kidding myself that I'm able to write a script again? A few weeks later, he added a handwritten note. It wasn't easy, but it was good. This I must remember. This is a simple yet powerful portrayal of what it means to live beyond shame. I have taken up a new mantra, compliments of Mr. Rogers, get to it, Leanne. When shame is bantering in my brain, actually even this morning, I've been all morning long saying, get to it, Leanne, when things are difficult. I'm finding that sometimes a shame loses its power when we just go for it and we take one step forward. Like Fred Rogers, we can also encourage ourselves by remembering it won't be easy, but it will be good. This message is repeated actually all throughout the Bible, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, and in our scripture readings for today, Psalm 84 and Hebrews 12. To live beyond the shame, we set our expectations, not that it will be easy, but that it will be good. So now, let's use our imaginations for a little bit, and this is a great time for the kids to get involved, so please participate by sharing your comments if you're on Facebook Live. And do me a favor, don't filter your kids' answers because, you know, they're funny. So imagine you are packing for a vacation, say like a stay at an all-inclusive resort. Everything you need will be provided for you, food, entertainment, relaxation. It's a worry-free stay at a location of your dreams. Sounds pretty good right, now, right about now. So what would you pack? Rob, do you have any ideas what you would pack? I just happen to have some of those ideas because we talked about this. So I brought my big suitcase and I would, you know, I would first of all start with my flip-flops. Wow, there's not very yeah. much in that suitcase. Well, you know, you one really pair of shoes. Socially oh, distancing. No, you got to, oh, sorry, no, sorry, so sorry. Then I'm gonna bring my running shoes because I'm gonna work out. I'm gonna read. Okay. And then you know I'm gonna spend a lot of time in my swimsuit. Nice. So yep. hence I didn't need a lot of clothes. But then you know some nice casual shorts, nice loungewear. You know then gotta go out to fancy restaurants or, you know, good eating. So, you know, I, I might have packed, you know, some. Okay, great. Okay, See, good. I, okay. Got, I got more. All right. Awesome. Thank you, Vanna. Now, imagine you are packing for a different type of trip. 
This time, instead of a week-long dream vacation, you're going on a month-long backpacking trip. There will be no hotels or restaurants. You have to carry everything you pack. And you need to be prepared for all kinds of weather and miles and miles of walking, which I realize sounds like a nightmare to some of you, but actually sounds what would you pack this time, Rob? <laughs> well, I just happen to have all of this gear, too, because I have done a two-week trip on a backpacking trip. So I've got my water on the sides. I've got my hiking poles. I, of course, would wear my hiking shoes. And then, you know, you've got to have the right stuff in your pack. So uh, I'd have... You know, my, sorry, I'd have my shelter that, nice. you know, and shelter. then my okay. stakes really the that would work, in, but... <laughs> and then uh, my poncho in case it rains, but which also, you know, I can put as my floor of my shelter, and then. I wonder if you'd remember to pack bug spray. Uh, I, I might remember to pack bug spray. Shout out to my middle daughter who uh, had to live through that torture of forgetting that. You know, then more. This is Rain the gear. extra clothes. Those are your extra clothes. Okay. This is, you know, A little you're, stinky maybe. You're, you got to embrace the stink. You know, if you're going to do... A hundred miles on a on a trip, you don't need lots of clothes. You just need to keep wearing the same thing over and over. Something to eat your okay, food in. This is what you eat your, your food in. Okay. Yep, this is what I eat my food in. This is the water filter. Okay, I'm cutting this you is off. The That's food good. Bag. All right. <laughs> Sleeping bag. Sleeping bag. Okay, it's all there, people. This is what you need for a two-week backing backpacking trip. If you want to plan a trip, you can call Rob. He'll say the thing you need. So just hold the suitcase and backpack image in the back of your mind and we're going to return to our scripture reading for today in psalm 84 which i forgot to bring my bible up here so we'll see if i can remember <laughs> um let's see blessed are those whose hearts are set on you wait whose whose strength is in you whose hearts are set on pilgrimage they will pass through the valley of baca and make it a place of string springs the autumn, <laughs> Dan's giving me, the autumn rains will become a place of pools or something of that nature. Okay, you got the point. You heard it earlier. And now he comes with the Bible. <laughs> We're good. We're good. So God really encouraged me through these verses when I was in a very hard place in my life. Life as I knew it had drastically changed. My heart was broken. My hopes were shattered, and really I felt like all I could do was get through one day at a time. I was in a, a valley. As I read these words in verse 5, blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage, I began to think about what it means to have my strength in God and my heart set on pilgrimage. So what do you hear, think of when you hear the word pilgrim? I think of the early pilgrims who came to the land of America in search of religious freedom and a new start. I also think of the Jews who made pilgrimages to festivals and to the temple to offer sacrifices and worship. I think of a pilgrim as a person or more often a group of people who are leaving something behind in pursuit of a mission. 
I imagine difficulties along the way, but a sense of being spurred on by the larger purpose they wish to achieve. As Christians, our pilgrimage isn't to a place or a destination, but to a person. Our pilgrimage is both to and with God. Jesus is the joy set before us and the friend who walks beside us. When we set our hearts on pilgrimage, the pilgrimage of seeking God with all our hearts, minds, soul, and strength, we go from strength to strength as we know God more and more. This is the place of promise. We are not here on earth to find happiness. We are here to find God, and God is not far from any of us. So now let's get back to our imaginary suitcase and backpack. Um, my point in that illustration is this. We take different things according to the expectations we have for the purpose and the type of journey we are on. Living beyond shame, living beyond fear, living beyond the uncertain times we are in is partially about how we set our expectations. Life as a Christian, as a human, is not meant to be easy. We are not set apart from the hardships, but we can experience them as places of beauty and hope. When we have our mindset, our heart set, like a pilgrim on a difficult journey, it doesn't change our environment. We actually are walking through valleys and deserts, but it can dramatically change our experience of our environment. Valley of Baca means place of weeping. So what does it mean to walk through a valley of weeping and make it a place of springs? I mentioned before that Psalm 84 was made alive for me at a time when my life was in complete turmoil. I remember one night when I was hurting so deeply, I could only pray one prayer. God, please comfort me. I had such a vivid sense that God was right there with me answering that prayer, holding me in that moment. I've never forgotten what it felt like to be comforted by God. This is what it means to have our valleys of weeping become a place of springs. They become that way when we seek to journey through them with God. This dark time in my life gave me beautiful, beautiful gifts in my relationship with God. We come to know God in the valleys and the deserts in ways we cannot possibly know him through happy, sunny days. So to live beyond the shame, we set our expectations, not that we will be comfortable, but that God will comfort us. Right now, all of humanity is walking through a valley of weeping across the world, the losses and potential for losses are great. If we are setting our hearts on a pilgrimage of happiness and comfort, we have every reason to be alarmed at this time. But if we are setting our hearts on a pilgrimage to seek and know God, this tumultuous time can actually be an opportunity to see and know God in different ways. That's so true, Leanne. 
where are we setting our expectations? This is what the exhortation to the Hebrews is all about. The author's audience was probably people that had never seen Jesus with their physical sight. They were under attack from the religious institution who didn't accept Jesus as the Messiah, and they were under attack from the rest of the world who didn't even acknowledge Jesus, from the powerful to the commoners. They were fearful, discouraged, and weary. Sounds a lot like today. Some were even considering how they might return to their life of how they used to live before they came to believe in Jesus. Now let's listen to those expectations that are being set again in Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Both the psalm and the exhortation to the Hebrews both set the expectation that this life of faith is a journey, not a vacation destination. It's an endurance race. It's not a sit on your couch and binge watch activity. Like Leanne's backpacking mindset, we need to throw off everything that hinders, the sin and the shame that weighs us down, and we need to carry a light backpack. And we have to remember that we can carry a light backpack because we don't have to do this alone. I always carry more when I solo hike than when I hike with others. Because when I hike with others, I'm able to share the load. I only need one water filter for us. We only need one stove and we only need one shelter. We can split the food and the water between us. And so it's always easier with others. So to live beyond the shame, we set our expectations, not that we are alone, but that we can look and find God's community all around us. See, whether it's persecution or shame or quarantine, it can feel like you and I are totally alone. But we need to see with our spiritual eyes, like the Hebrews, we need to see this huge crowd of witnesses surrounding us. It's a little bit like this live stream. I mean, you can see me, but I can't see you. I might be able to read some of your comments, but I have to picture where you are. And even beyond that, Our cloud of witnesses is not just random people. It's all those who are past, present, and future who testify to who Jesus is and what Jesus did. See, shame wants us to stay solo, to remain isolated, and to try and do it on our own. We need a community reminding us who and whose we are. Sometimes we need to be the reminders, and sometimes we need to be reminded. Now, I don't know if you've ever considered or if anyone's ever asked you before quarantine, why do you go to church? You know, 40 or 50 years ago, you probably would have heard a lot of people say, well, I have to, I'm supposed to, or that's just what you do. Maybe in the last 10 or 20 years, you might have gotten someone saying, well, someone invited me, or they do really cool stuff. They have a great band. There's great teaching. Maybe there's a light show. But in this time of online-only church, 
I think it's an opportunity and a heart check. It's an opportunity because if you're not someone who attends church very often, this is your chance to check it out with many other first-timers. Even if those people have been there in person, we're all new to this online only. But if you were to just stop there, you'd miss the biggest part of church. Church is primarily not about accessing good information about Jesus, the Bible, or how to be a better Christian. You can watch, listen, or download lots of great teaching online. No, the reason that we engage and interact and gather is to encounter God and to learn to be a community, a people, a family, a church, and a mission together. That's why we do it. We need connection with God and others. And while we're under this stay at home or shelter in place or whatever it's called where you're at, we must continue to be in relationship with each other, even if that looks different in the days and weeks ahead. We need each other, our own cloud of witnesses, if you will, to shift our attention away from shame and the story shame tries to tell us and back to the big story God is telling us, not just in the Bible, but in this very moment. We need others to remind us deeply, or we need others who know us deeply to remind us who we are and who God is. This will involve times of confession and times of declaration. We need to share our vulnerabilities in our families, our small groups, our close communities, because when we share vulnerably, we send a powerful message to our brain that we're not alone, even in our weakness. And when we bring shame into the light, not only does it lose its power, but we also find that we don't have to be enough, whatever our version of enough might be. No, we are not alone. We can look and find God's community all around us. Like Leanne said, we're never going to be rid of shame fully and completely. But we can find healing in the shame, and we can live beyond the shame, and we can experience the freedom that God intended for us. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be good. It's not going to be comfortable, but God will comfort us. We're not going to be alone, but we can look and find God's community all around us. And lastly, we set our expectations not on our faith and happiness, but on Jesus and his joy. I mean, Hebrews says we need to look to Jesus, the one who starts and finishes faith. Not my faith, not your faith, not our faith, but faith. Part of a faith is fixing our eyes on and following Jesus, the one whose life was pilgrimage. Jesus is the one who put his strength in God and set his heart on pilgrimage. He came from the heights of heaven to the banal of earth, to the depths of hell, to his ascent to the throne of God. He shed his blood and his tears for humanity. He was the first one to walk through the valley of weeping. He loves us and pursues us and gave his life to redeem and rescue us from sin and separation from God. This is how the Message Bible translates one of the very famous verses. It's actually the Bible app's verse of the day today. John 3, 16. 
This is how much God loved the world, that he gave his son, his one and only son. And this is why, so that no one need be destroyed. By believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. See, any of us can receive life in Jesus by trusting in who Jesus is and what Jesus did. And see, when you and I, when we receive this true life in Jesus, when we say, Jesus, I no longer trust in my own efforts, in what I've done, but I trust in what you, Jesus, have done, then we not only live beyond the shame, we not only have eternal life with Jesus, but we can live in true joy now and forever. See, Hebrews tells us that it was for joy the joy set before Jesus that he endured the cross and scorned its shame. He disregarded the shame that the cross had. And I think Jesus was able to endure the cross because he was able to see beyond the cross. He was able to see before and above anything else that he had delight in the Father. That Jesus knew the joy of being in unconditional loving relationship with the Father through the Spirit. See, joy is what we experience when we, when we know love and security and trust in a relationship. Joy is the outcome of Jesus' awareness of the Father's unconditional love and ultimate delight in him. God has joy in Jesus, not in his behavior, but in his presence. Maybe you need to hear that again. The joy that God had in Jesus was because of his presence not his behavior. And Jesus' awareness of this joy and the the joy that it brings in that relationship and the ability to make a way for that kind of relationship to be available to us is what enabled him to carry out the mission and vision for his life. In fact, we see that joy in the Lord's Supper, often called communion. Luke tells us that when the hour came, Jesus reclined at the table and he said to his disciples, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you again, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. See, Jesus had a joy in him. He knew that glory would come after the suffering, but not without the suffering. And it was on the night that Jesus would be betrayed that he took bread and he broke it. And after he had given thanks to God for it, he said, this is my body broken for you. In the same way, after supper, it says that Jesus took the cup and he poured the wine and he said, this cup is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sin. Drink it, all of you. And as you do, remember me. Friends, this is the Lord's table. It is Jesus himself who invites you to this meal And this table is open to all who believe and profess faith in Jesus Christ. And even though today it looks quite different 
Let's pray that the Lord would meet us in the sharing of the bread and the cup together. Lord Jesus, to you be all praise and glory and honor because you gave yourself, you shed your blood and you let your body be broken in death for our sake so that we, God, might have the forgiveness of sin and eternal life with you. So God, in every home, every screen, every room that is hearing this, I pray that you would bless us, oh God. Bless this bread which we eat and this cup which we partake and let us join in unity with our Savior, Jesus Christ. God, unite us also with one another and with all your saints in heaven and on earth. Consecrate us, body and soul to be a living, acceptable sacrifice so that in word and deed, we may continue to glorify you, eternal God, and to bring your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.